Big show today, a lot to get into. We're going to talk about falling yields, rate cuts, expectations, risk markets doing very well despite the rate cut expectations. We have to go back and revisit liquidity, and I need to explain a few more things to you guys. And stick to the end, we're going to talk about Bitcoin, of course, back over 40,000 and up 150% year to date. Welcome back to the Bitcoin layer. I'm Nick Batia. Today, I want to go around the markets and give you all another global update. Bitcoin is really off to the races in a new bull market. We're going to discuss that at the end. But first, let's start with falling yields around the world. We've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Make sure to subscribe to our research publication at thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe for all of our latest research and analysis. Today's episode is sponsored by River. River is a Bitcoin only exchange and what we believe to be the best in the business. River does not use a third party custodian and this is key for you guys to understand. When you buy Bitcoin through River's platform, you are not sending the Bitcoin out to another company. River keeps that Bitcoin in a multi-signature cold storage solution and not only that, they encourage you to get your coins off of Rivers Exchange as soon as possible. So advocating for self-custody. We love that. Go check them out today, river.com slash TBL for a special offer. Okay, the first chart I have for you guys is one that you'll be familiar with. It's the oil gold ratio versus U.S. Treasury yields. Now, this encompasses a couple things that I need to explain to you guys today. Number one. Oil is falling rapidly, but it's not just oil by itself, it's oil relative to gold. So comparing these two commodities, and what we see historically is that the oil-gold ratio correlates strongly with treasury yields. Why is that? Because when the demand for oil falls relative to safe gold, it is showing the markets that the expectation of growth is declining. And when growth expectations decline, what also declines? Treasury yields. So that's why we see these two behaving together. And in fact, what we see here is that this ratio in black started falling before the peak in treasury yields in October. And as this ratio has fallen, so have treasury yields. So we're watching oil, we're watching oil's bear market we're watching treasury yields as well and how they perform together. And what we're seeing right now is a strong relationship, falling oil equals falling yields. But that's not all that we need to discuss when it comes to yields. We'll come back to US yields and the expectations for what the Fed is going to do in a couple minutes. But first, let's talk about Europe. Now, at the Bitcoin layer, at our research publication, I wrote something, published it Thursday, which would be yesterday morning for you guys. And in that piece, I talked about ECB to cut rates by March and Fed to cut rates by June. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys. When I'm writing with strong conviction that something is going to happen, I'm never sure that the emotion is going to come out the other side for the reader and just how strong that conviction is. But with a video, 
I hope to do that a little bit more clearly with you guys with regards to my expectations for central banking policy in 2024. Now, let me just say this before I get to the shape of the curve and the market yields themselves. Central banks will be cutting rates in 2024. I have never felt as strongly about this during the cycle that we're currently in as I do right now. Now, let's rewind quickly to March and the regional banking crisis that we had in the U.S., what we saw is money markets start to price in cuts by mid-2023 and especially the back half of 2023. Did any of that happen? Absolutely not. We actually got more rate cuts after the regional banking crisis. The Fed did their last rate hike in July, which was several months after the regional banking crisis. And so the money market curves were in fact wrong looking out three to six months right after the regional banking crisis. I believe that has that event and that market pricing and that market pricing being incorrect has left investors with a false pretense that money market curves can be wrong and can be severely wrong and even on the opposite side. And for that reason, Despite cuts being priced into the market today, you still have pundits talking about potential rate hikes in 2024, including central banker extraordinaire Jerome Powell himself, who has recently reiterated that rate hikes are still on the table for 2024 if inflation can re-accelerate. Now, I'm here to tell you that not only are rate hikes not coming in 2024, but the cuts are on their way. And money markets will not be wrong this time around, looking inside three months. And now I can tie that back into Europe, in that we do have, within three months, cut expectations hitting the market in European money market curves. I'll show you that chart in a second. My point here is to express to you guys very clearly and with strong conviction here, the hiking cycle, not only is it over, it's buried, and the cuts are on their way and much, much sooner than anybody might expect. Now, money market traders have cuts priced in for the ECB and the Fed in 2024. So let's go into some of those charts quickly. But first, I want to show you the chart of German yields. So boons, as we call them, it's not a typo when we say boons with a U. It is actually the German word for bonds in the 10-year part of the curve. What do we see here on German yields? They have come crashing down below this increasing blue trend line here and have fallen pretty sharply from 3% to about 2.25% in the past couple months. This sharp decline in European yields is one-to-one correlated with the fall in growth and inflation expectations in Europe. That is happening because why? Europe is in recession. 
Germany is in recession. Factory orders, manufacturing in Germany is very weak right now. And not only does that make for us weak German economy, it makes for a weak European economy, and it is a symptom of weak global demand and therefore a weak global economy. So falling German yields don't cause anything around the world. Rather, when German yields fall, it is the world pricing in lower growth from Germany, which is a response to low global demand for German products. Remember, Germany exports some of the world's most important machinery, medical equipment, automotive sector, their biosciences. There are so many things that come out of Germany. So when Germany exports fall, factory orders fall, manufacturing falls, and yields fall, it is a sign that the rest of the world is weak, not, not specifically something about Germany. That is something to keep in mind. Now, why do we focus so much about on boons? That's something that you guys might be asking yourself at home. Why isn't it going on and on about boon yields when he is a treasury analyst? Well, here's the reason. There are only two currencies with regard to fiat currencies. I'm talking about government currencies, central bank currencies. There are only two currencies in the world with what I would consider from my experience and what the markets would consider financial system currencies, global financial system currencies. I'm sorry, because when we talk about the UK and Japan, both of these currencies, the, the pound and the yen, have strong financial systems within those nations. But with the US and Europe, the dollar and the euro, these two currencies have global financial systems with repo markets, money markets, with international investor bases. For this reason, the euro currency must have an asset within that universe that serves the function of risk-free asset. We use that term to describe treasury securities. We know that the risk-free moniker refers to is a relative term and obviously ignores price risk and devaluation risk of the underlying currency. Nonetheless, we use this term. In Germany, we refer to boons as the risk-free asset of the euro. So when German yields fall, it means German bond prices are going up and German bond prices go up when there is a flight to safety within the euro currency system. Then that is another correlation with boond yields and treasury yields. They both fall in a flight to safety as investors seek the relative safety of government debt within those currency denominations. So that is why German yields are falling here, and it is a warning sign, as we said, and correlated one-to-one with the money markets in Europe pricing in rate cuts. Now, in this chart that I have for you guys, it'll take us a second to explain what we're looking at. Now, this is the implied number of hikes slash cuts from the central bank. In this one, we're looking at the ECB. Now, on the left side of the chart, you have the policy rate scale. And on the right side of the chart, you have the number of hikes cuts. So as you guys might be familiar, 
Historically, central banks raise and cut rates 25 basis points at a time. In the last, in the current hiking cycle that ended in July in the United States, the Fed was hiking by 50 and even 75 basis point clips. And that is not uncommon, but we just use this 25 basis point number as the minimum amount that a central bank might move. So that's why you see on the left-hand side, the scale going down by 25 basis points at a time and the scale going down by one cut at a time on the right side. So that's what the left and right-hand side of the y-axis are. Now, what do we see where the policy rate is today? In Europe, it's at 4%. So that's why you see today, which we're at the you know tail end of 2023 going into January of 2024 here, the policy rate in Europe is at 4%. Now, this is an expectation from the market. So where money markets are buying contracts looking forward two months, four months, six months, 12 months. Now, looking forward six months, in May, we can see that the policy rate in Europe is somewhere between three and a quarter and three and a half percent. That means the policy rate expectations from money market investors in Europe has the ECB cutting rates by at least half a percent by May and by about 25 basis points by March. So that means the market is pricing in ECB rate cuts in the first half of next year. Whether they happen in January, February, March, April, May, or June, it is very difficult to forecast. But what our experience tells us is that once the front month meeting gets locked into a interest rate move, meaning higher or lower, the central bank doesn't like to shake that expectation because it would disrupt capital markets. And so as we make the turn into January, we'll be watching this March meeting at the ECB level to confirm this prediction that we're making that the ECB will be cutting rates by March. We believe that this is going to play out and the central banks, including the one in Europe and the Fed, might be using the term maintenance cuts. It's a term that was thrown around in 2018 when rates were starting to level off that maybe we need to do some maintenance of the policy rate. It went a little too high. Let's lower it a little bit. We think that maintenance cuts is just basically a term that is being used to cloud your vision from what is really going on, which is a slight panic that the central bank went way too far and is actually impairing the economy beyond the point that it is comfortable with. And we do believe that is what has happened in Europe right now, therefore, cut expectations coming into the market strongly, right? This is not looking forward nine months. This is now only three months away, 25 to 50 basis points in that three to six month time horizon being priced into the market. And not only that, no hikes whatsoever. You notice that 
This line does not go above zero. It does not go above 4%. There is zero expectation of hikes from the money markets. This is very telling. Now, you might be wondering, then why are stocks off to the races? Why is the DAX, which is the German index, performing incredibly well? Why is the S&P 500 performing incredibly well? Uh, We'll get to all that in a second. I promise I have some charts for you, but let's continue this train of thought. Okay, we talked about the ECB. Now let's talk about the Fed. Let's look at the money market curve here in the US. What do you see now? Again, the right hand side of the Y axis. The line does not go above zero here, guys, anymore. Hike expectations are a distant memory. The last hike was five, six months ago. There will be no hikes in 2024. There will be cuts in 2024. The only question is when and by how much. So let's look at the way that this shape curve is shaped. What you see is by June of 2024, which is what we are saying that we will see cuts by the Fed by at least at the very latest June. In June, it looks like we have about 50 to 75 basis points of cuts priced into the market. And the first cut, it looks like by about April, we go above 25 basis points in terms of the magnitude of the cut. Remember that the policy rate today is around five and one third percent. So the first cut would take the policy rate down to just above 5%. We see that in about April, May here on this chart. So the market pricing in cuts by April, May, we are here at the Bitcoin layer saying, by June, rate cuts from the Fed. By March, rate cuts from the ECB. And we understand that in the face of risk assets, where they are, the prediction that we're making sounds a little bit insane. We understand, we fully understand, and we fully sympathize with that. However, through our experience, the way that the money market curves are shaped, it's very hard for us to imagine that these curves are wrong, right? The stock market and the corporate bond market are pricing in future expectations. We understand that. And price is truth. And we do feel that Cuts, we have said also that cuts will only come when the S&P 500 is low enough to mandate that the Fed cuts. But maybe the money market curve is seeing something that might happen in stocks, might not, or is happening in the economy at large that warrants this type of downward shaping slope. And remember, nothing above zero, nothing above 4% in Europe. Nothing above five and a third percent in the US. We think that is very, very telling and a strong signal. As promised, the SP 500. We saw the SP fall below its 200 day moving average in the fourth quarter of 2023. It held and bounced strongly. It is trading back up at the 4,600 level, which is at the highs for the year. We know how well Bitcoin has traded. Let's not forget about stocks. They have traded very well. It is because of liquidity. We will get into that, of course, here in a few minutes. What is driving stocks? But I wanted to show you guys here that the shape of the money market curve which is showing cuts, 
We have associated cuts with a very sharply falling stock market, meaning that we don't expect cuts until stocks fall. So then why are stocks up so much? The two are not wed to each other right now, and we understand that can be confusing. It's not that we're able to just explain it away very easily. Rather, we're going to show you what we're thinking and why we're thinking that both of these things can be true at the same time. That stocks are at their highs for the year. Meanwhile, cuts are coming from central banks in the next three to six months. So let's move on from the S&P 500 chart and get into a chart of comparing corporate bond spreads versus the S&P 500. So what we've done here is in maroon, we have switched the S&P 500 to uh, reverse. So you see here on the left-hand side of your screen, the S&P 500 scale is reversed. So instead of uh, strong stocks having a maroon line go up, it's coming down. In orange, you see corporate bond spreads. Now remember that as corporate bond spreads fall, it means that companies are less risky relative to treasuries. So when risk is performing well, both of these lines should be coming down, right? Stocks rising, which is reversed here, so the maroon line falling, and corporate bond sp spreads falling in a bullish move for corporate bonds. Now, what we see here is that, of course, there's a strong relationship between corporate bonds and stocks, and that while stocks are at their highs for the year, corporate bond spreads are also near, but not at, near their lows for the year. It means risk is doing well. So we hear people say, how can you say they're going to cut rates when risk is performing so well? We, we completely hear that, and we're not, we're not actually arguing with that assessment that, hey, risk performing well should mean no cuts are coming. We, we don't even argue with that, but we're looking out at the money market curve, understanding that cuts are getting priced in, and therefore a little bit confused at why risk is performing so well in association with that. But again, we don't have all the answers here, guys. We're just going through one metric at a time, trying to put it all together, trying to make sense for it, for you as well as ourselves. So here's what I came up with and why risk is performing so well, despite these cuts getting priced into the market. I promise you I have some answers. They don't, they're not necessarily the right ones, but I do have some ideas. Now let's start with the liquidity portion of this video. Let's start with a chart that we put up recently that excess liquidity is down 18, 19% year over year. This is reserves and reverse repo in the market. Now, when we wrote about this, people said, wait, I thought that when reverse repo falls, it it is stimulative to asset prices. Yet you're saying that it's a liquidity metric that's falling. Unfortunately, both of those things are correct, and I want to explain why with a few charts. So excess liquidity is a key term here. Excess liquidity is what reverse repo is. And so when the excess liquidity falls... It actually goes to primary liquidity being supported. 
So the liquidity is falling out of the excess bucket and into the stimulative bucket. So excess liquidity drawing down is bearish long-term, but at the margin, excess liquidity drawing down from reverse repo balances goes into a stimulative liquidity bucket and has potentially supported asset prices over the last few months as that balance has fallen rapidly. So again, that might be something that we didn't explain as well as we could have last time, but an opportunity to break it down a little bit further. And I have more charts for you to explain that dynamic, what I'm talking about here. So the Fed's balance sheet is down 19.3% year over year with regard to these two liability lines, the reserve line and the reverse repo line. But that doesn't mean that this excess liquidity metric is the only driver of liquidity and of asset prices. In fact, it's not. Here's another chart that we have published and written about a little bit. We did a video about this chart as well recently, money markets by type. Now you can see the nominal amounts of certain money markets here. So in gray silver, you have the RRP balance, okay? Now we see RRP here falling below about 0.9 trillion, so just above 800 billion today. You can see the sharp fall in reverse repo over the last several months. Now, as reverse repo balances have fallen, it has been potentially stimulative to the to financial markets as the reverse repo balance leaves the Fed's balance sheet and goes into other places in the money market. One of those places could be the black line here, which as you see is above five and a half trillion treasury bills. Treasury bills that are funding the government, the money that comes out of reverse repo goes into treasury bills. The treasury bills that receive that funding, that money goes to whom? It goes to the treasury department. The treasury department is represented here with the purple line about two-thirds of a trillion dollars here and up from zero, remember, during the debt ceiling crisis. So as the Treasury General account increases in balance, that means more money is coming into the Treasury coffers. But when the Treasury spends that money and it's constantly spending that money as it raises money from the bill market, as it spends that money, what happens to that money? it goes into the economy. So it increases aggregate demand. Remember that the economy, GDP, is the sum of consumption and government expenditure and net exports. So as the country itself spends more money from either the consumer, the government, or by exporting more, it will drive GDP. So where is all this stock market boom and 5% GDP coming from? This is a topic that Lynn Alden has covered. We recommend you guys go check out our video from Monday with Lynn, Fiscal Dominance. The money is coming back into the economy via the aggregate demand channel. And it is being stimulative to the markets, 
to stocks, to corporate bonds. So even though excess liquidity is coming down, the silver line uh, decreasing, the treasury is sending money throughout the economy via the channel of just uh, deficit spending or spending in general. So what is liquidity? It's really hard to define. Liquidity is not just one thing. In fact, I want to take a brief pause from the chart pack to talk about treasury liquidity. We've seen treasury liquidity metrics being thrown around. What is treasury liquidity? Actually, it has nothing to do with any of this stuff that we're talking about. The treasury liquidity metric that you guys are seeing, which is a Bloomberg index, comes from how treasury securities are trading off the run versus on the run. It means how is the treasury security issued three years ago trading versus the one that was issued last week. And the relative price bid-ask spread between old treasuries and fresh treasuries can be represented in an index and shown to market participants. And basically, so they can say, hey, if I'm buying a 10-year bond that was issued three years ago, it's only a seven-year bond today. How does the seven-year-old bond that was issued last week, which is a fresh seven-year bond, trade versus a seven-year-old bond, which is actually a 10-year bond that's three years old? And the difference between the ways that those two securities trade is represented through a treasury liquidity index. So again, nothing to do with the quantity of money sloshing around in the system. So liquidity can mean several, several different things. Be careful when analysts are talking about liquidity, especially us. When we're talking about about liquidity, what type of liquidity are we talking about? There are many different things. So make sure you're trying to understand specifically what type of liquidity. Excess liquidity, global liquidity, Fed liquidity, central bank liquidity, uh, liquidity from commercial banks, liquidity from different pockets of the money market, which we're showing you here on the screen with the money markets graph, lots of different types. So I want to show you another one of the measures of liquidity that combines some of these numbers. Now, this one is from Jurian Timmer. He is a one of the lead researchers at Fidelity, uh, as you guys know, a multi-trillion dollar asset manager that is about to enter the Bitcoin ETF space. They will be, Fidelity, mark our words, will be one of the initial applicants that is approved for their ETF along with BlackRock. That's only days away, guys. Possibly in January is what we're hearing, so uh, just a few weeks away. Now, Jurian puts this one. This is SOMA minus TGA minus RRP. Now, I want to go back to the last graph for a quick second. SOMA means the size of the Fed's treasury holdings, right? And so the size of the Fed's treasury holdings is not represented on this graph that we showed you because that's an asset side. And what we've shown you are liabilities. The dark green line is Fed reserves here. The RRP is in gray silver, and the purple line is the Treasury general account. 
Those are all liabilities of the Fed. But RRP is represented here and TGA, which is our purple line, is represented here. So we have two of the three. But what he's showing you is that the treasury holdings of the Fed minus TGA minus RRP are actually liquidity. So as the Fed, as the treasury spends down its general account, so TGA going lower, the purple line going lower on the previous chart, and as RRP goes lower, so a declining line, which we are seeing this year, is going toward his liquidity metrics. So the minus TGA and minus RRP are additive to his liquidity metric here. Why? Because he's not considering it excess liquidity. I'm sorry, he's considering it excess liquidity. He's not rec- he's not considering a drawdown in RRP, a decline in liquidity. He's he's considering it an increase in liquidity. That's why the negative sign here. So we want your questions. We want your comments. Make sure you write your comments in the in the vid- below the video here. Let us know what you're understanding and what you need more understanding of with regards to liquidity. Subscribe to our research publication. Read what we're writing and respond there with your comments. Let us know what we are doing to explain this and what we can do to explain it better to you guys. But reverse repo can be excess liquidity. And it can, it, it can be thought of as stimulative liquidity because it's excess, right? So I wanted to show you that the, and so what does he have here? The Russell 2000, which is small cap stocks, is being supported somewhat by RRP falling. And that's what Jurian is trying to show you here from Fidelity. Now, another analyst that we've had on the Bitcoin layer, go check out his episodes, Michael Howell, Cross-Border Capital. He has a global liquidity metric that involves central bank liquidity and commercial bank liquidity from the G3, Fed, ECB, and the Bank of Japan, but he also includes other central banks and he also includes China liquidity metrics. And so when Michael is publishing his global liquidity index, which you see here in orange versus the stock market, S&P 500 in black, what you see here is that global liquidity is stimulative right now and it is contributing to higher asset prices. So how can the stock market be at year-to-date highs, but the central banks being priced in four cuts three to six months out. This is why. There's a lot going on in global liquidity that is stimulative to markets and the greater economy, either from a fiscal dominance side or a money creation side. Any of these things can be supportive to asset prices. So keep in mind all of these moving factors. And At the Bitcoin layer, what are we going to consider stimulative liquidity, excess liquidity, global liquidity? Well, we have a lot of work to do there. One of the main metrics that we've used is this G3 central bank base money balance sheet and correlate that with Bitcoin. So that means the Fed asset size, ECB assets, and Bank of Japan assets. As these three 
asset bases increase year over year, we see Bitcoin increase year over year. That's a chart that Joe's written about and published about. We'll continue to watch that and use that as one of our base metrics, but it doesn't mean that that's the only one. We'll continue to have other guests such as Michael Howell on to talk about what's going on with global liquidity, a metric that is a little bit beyond the scope of what we are researching right now, right? Trying to incorporate China credit expansion into what we're doing is just not what we're doing right now. You look at Jurian Timmer from Fidelity. What is he looking at for liquidity? It's just Fed assets minus repo and the treasury spending. Sorry, reverse repo and the treasury spending. So he's only using U.S. and he's looking at U.S. stocks and small caps. Michael Howell is looking at the S&P 500 versus global liquidity. There's lots of metrics to think about when thinking about liquidity. That's why there's no simple answer to why markets go up and down. And we'll continue to watch, research, and write about all of these metrics. Now, I promised we talk about Bitcoin last but not least Let's look at the Bitcoin price. Bitcoin is having an absolutely phenomenal year, up 150% year to date. And Bitcoin strongly above 40,000 this week as we are just weeks away from ETF approval and those floodgates of demand opening up. Now, who's allocating in the front running of that demand? We don't know. We've heard rumors about something going on in the Middle East. We're not here to really speculate on who, but we look at the price and we look at what we do know, which is the SEC is going to approve these ETFs here in a matter of weeks. And we know that the demand will come. So somebody is front running that demand. It's causing a very, very nice performance of Bitcoin this year. But now you guys might be at home thinking, well, Put it in some relative context. How high can Bitcoin go? Is it overheated yet or not? Let's look at a chart, a really nice chart that the guys over at Look Into Bitcoin have on their homepage. We recommend you guys go check that out. We also use Glassnode data for on-chain metrics. So both of those services are uh, services that we use to get some good on-chain metrics. Uh, shout out to both of those companies for providing us with that data. Now, Take a look here at this chart from Look Into Bitcoin. What we're looking at here is a few lines. Number one, the black line is a Bitcoin price. And I should note that it is on a logarithmic scale here on the left-hand side, right? Logarithmic scale. Why? Because Bitcoin is demonstrating exponential growth and has been since the birth of its price about 13 years ago. As we know, Bitcoin is just, again, weeks away from its 15th birthday. The light blue line is the realized cap of Bitcoin. So we've talked about realized cap, realized price of Bitcoin. It is the on-chain cost basis of Bitcoin. Go check out our videos with Checkmate from Glassnode. We've written about this again at the Bitcoin Layer uh, Research Publication. MVRV is a ratio that we really, really value here. This is the market value relative to the realized value. It is a way of judging how overheated or oversold Bitcoin is relative to its cost basis. So the behavior of people that are in Bitcoin, that own it, that took it off the exchange when they bought it, 
last week, last month, last year, or even last decade, what are those people doing and when are they moving their coins and at what prices? What we see here now, we have an orange and a red line on the screen here. The red line is the raw ratio market value to realized value. The orange line is the Z-score, which is, which is a normalized metric looking at the history of the ratio and giving us an expression of standard deviations from the mean. So a Z-score of 1 is what the basically the average ratio of MVRV is for Bitcoin. Okay, so with all that being said, Spikes in the red and orange line are when Bitcoin's price is overheated relative to its cost basis and dips into this green area for the orange line, the Z-score, are when the market value relative to its realized value, its cost basis, falls below its average. It means that traders and holders are actually realizing losses on their Bitcoin trades. Realized Bitcoin losses do not ha happen that often. As you can see, they've only happened three to four periods in Bitcoin's history, depending on how you look at it. 2012, 2015, 16, 2019, and then a blip during the pandemic. That's why you see it dip back down. And then again, late last year and early this year. Traders were actually realizing losses. This is capitulation. This is when people give up that were in it for a quick profit. And they don't see that quick profit and they give up before the they wait for a five-year time horizon, which was which has basically never left anybody in an unprofitable Bitcoin position. So the red line today is at about two. It does mean that. The price of Bitcoin has reached about double the realized price, the cost basis, average cost basis on chain for Bitcoin holders, but is too overheated relative to the past. Not necessarily. And the Z-score is still quite low and not showing any signs of real overheating yet. But we can, what we can see is that we are in the early stages of a bull market as the Z-score of MVRV really charges out of this green area into positive territory. It is showing energy. It is showing speculative energy for the first time in a few in a couple years. And we do look for Bitcoin bull market characteristics to now enter the fold. That means ridiculously volatile markets. Huge candles both ways, 20 to 50% drawdowns during the run up. So a drawdown of 60 back down to the $40,000 area should be something that you guys are thinking about and expecting as we head into 2024, just for example. Now, we, we said we'd speculate on where the price can go. This is the last thing I'll do here. We got to about an MVRV of four during the last couple bull markets. Now, if the realized price and cap of Bitcoin can start this move back up 
as we get into new entrants coming into the market, moving coins off exchanges into cold storage. Let's just pretend ETFs, uh, sovereign wealth funds, other large players that are coming in from the institutional side. Now, as we get into 2024, it will drive the realized price up. Let's imagine that that can get up to about 30 grand. A 4X multiplier would put Bitcoin at 120,000. So just to give you context, that's not our prediction. We don't offer investment advice here. Rather, we're giving you context. Is Bitcoin overheated? No, not yet. How high can it go? It can potentially go to a four times realized price. And where can realized price go to? It can easily get to 30,000 here in the next six to 12 months on new entrance to the Bitcoin market. Thank you guys for sticking with us today at the Bitcoin Layer. Make sure to check out our Substack publication, thebitcoinlayer.com slash subscribe for all of our latest. Subscribe to the channel, like the video, and please remember, leave comments. Let us know what you guys are thinking. We'll catch you next time. Today's episode has been sponsored by River. River is a Bitcoin-only exchange with Lightning Network capability. Go check them out today at river.com slash TBL for a special offer. And one new feature that River has added, which we think is really cool, recurring purchases on the hour. So you can set a small amount to be purchased every single hour so that you are truly averaging your cost over a long time horizon. Make sure you check them out today, river.com slash TBL.